Hey, good morning. And those of you joining us online, thank you for tuning in and being part of our service. Uh, hey, big events going on here uh, around this area this coming week, right? We have the, uh, the big game. The Yankees are coming into town, and they're going to put a whooping on whoever they're playing. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I do, but I don't really care. Uh, but I just want to say to all the Cubs fans, thank you so much. We appreciate you sending Rizzo our way. He's doing a great job for us, and <laughs> I'm not actually a very big uh, fan uh, of baseball, but... Uh, it is a, a big event, and I just had to put a little dig in there. So I want to talk about something important this morning. I want to talk about what I think Scripture gives as one of the greatest conversions of, of any time. The greatest conversion of any time. Where a man named Saul became Paul. Where a man who was tearing down the church became a man who built up the church. It's an incredibly different. It, it, it's such a, a 180. It's such a, a thing. Now, I used a word, and, and maybe you heard me say it. It was a conversion. And some of you may be of the, you know, you were raised in a, a belief system, or you still have it right now, where you say, well, I've always been a Christian. And what you mean by that is, I was born into a Christian family, therefore I'm a Christian. But you know what? The Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't use that terminology. In fact, the Bible says and Jesus said this to a man named Nicodemus one night. He says, you were born once physically, but you need to be born again spiritually. So, so the, the answer is no one is born spiritually. No one is born a Christian. You become a Christian. There is a, a change. There's a conversion. And that's what we want to look at. We want to look at the conversion of Saul and we want to talk about what does it mean to be, you know, what are the implications? And what kind of person does God use? And, and so if you would, turn, as Mark said, to Acts chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to read the first, you know, just the first, like, um, I'll go the first nine verses. And then we'll talk about it. I'm, I'm going to make some comments in the midst of this just so we can move forward and, and you can have some context. Uh, up to this point, Paul is persecuting the church. Um, people are leaving Jerusalem, and they're going to all, all areas. But, but, but Paul is pursuing them. He's going out to um, pursue them to as far as Damascus. So we'll see that. Meanwhile, Paul, or Saul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might uh, take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. Notice he uses that phrase, if he found any of those, anyone there who belonged to the way. Remember, and I think I mentioned this a while ago, when uh, we used this phrase, and they only used it a little bit. They weren't called Christians till later on, but they were people of the way. And you say, well, where did that come from? Well, it came from Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they were people of the way. of, And so that kind of was their early title. So Paul is looking for followers of Jesus. Now let's go on. As he neared Damascus, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, Go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul 
stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, it says that the people around Saul heard something. Now, there's a debate among scholars. Did they hear the, the same you know, words or did they just hear a sound? And we don't really know what they heard. We know Paul or Saul did. Uh, he was conversing, but we don't know what the crowd heard. They heard something, though. It wasn't just that they didn't hear anything. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about two. There are two things that, that are needed if you want to be used of God. Now, I, I think I'm speaking to an audience here in-house and online that many of you are saying, I want to be used of God. How can I be used of God? What are the requirements for me to be used in a, in a powerful way by God? And they're really, this passage gives us a couple of those. The first one is this. You have to, God uses people who really know him. Now, this sounds very basic, but here's the thing. Saul was a threat to the early church. He was trying to destroy it. He was doing everything he could to destroy the church. And here's the thing. He thought he was doing the work of God. He thought he was doing God's will. He was absolutely convinced he was on God's side. But it's interesting. When Jesus comes to him, he says, he says why do you, Jesus says to Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, doesn't that seem weird? When you read that, don't you think that you expected Jesus to say something like, why are you persecuting my people, my children, my, you know, he doesn't say that. He says, why are you persecuting me? Well, later in the book of Ephesians, Paul says what about the church? He says, the church is the bride of Christ, right? And so, you know, I think what's going on here is Jesus is, you know, part of the church. The Bible says he dwells within us, that the Spirit of God dwells within us. And so, essentially, what, what the passage, I think, Jesus is saying is, when you mess with my bride, you mess with me. Folks, let's just be, let's be perfectly clear. The local church is precious to Jesus. He calls it his bride. And so he basically says, Saul, you're not just persecuting these people. You're persecuting my church, my bride. Um, and then he says, well, who are you? And um, he, he tells him who he is. Now, here's the point. Some people think they know Jesus, and they don't. Um, the question I want to ask you is, how close can you get to Jesus and still be lost? How close can you get to Jesus and still be lost? There's a lot of people in this community and all across the country that are going to go to church this weekend, they're going to attend a worship service, and they're going to say, I'm on the Lord's side, I love Jesus, or whatever. And um, do they? Hey, Paul was Saul was absolutely convinced that he was on the Lord's side. He was absolutely convinced he was on the, the right team. But think about this for a minute. Think of the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew the scriptures. They knew when the, the Messiah was going to be born. They knew, you know, even when Jesus said he was going to be in the tomb and three days later he'd be raised, they said they went and got a guard put on the tomb. So they understood. All. In other words, they had a lot of Bible information. They understood a lot of theology and a lot of the Old Testament prophets. And they knew the Old Testament, but they didn't know Jesus. 
And there are some people who say, well, because I know a lot about the Bible and I know a lot of information, therefore I must be a follower of Jesus. Well, not necessarily. Now, we know some of the scribes and the Pharisees were, did become believers. Nicodemus is a good example. But how about Judas? Judas was one of the 12. He was one of the chosen, right? And he walked with the disciples. He probably performed miracles. And, and he, he, he was the one who they trusted with the money, with the treasure. You know, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, you know, you know you have that group of people, and, you know, if there's trouble or a problem or something, you know, maybe it's at work or in the family or whatever, and, and they go, okay, there's trouble, there's a problem. You go, oh, it's probably, you know. Well, Jesus goes, he says, one of you is a traitor, and you expect them to go, oh, it's, it's got to be Judas. But nobody does that. They didn't see it coming. I mean, from the outside, he looked like he was on. I mean, how much closer can you get to Jesus than Judas? How about Saul? Saul's out there doing the work of God, right? You would have, if you could have interviewed Saul as he's walking to Damascus with the letters and the, and the authority, he, he says, Saul, what are you up to? He says, I'm, I'm doing God's work. Jesus goes, you're, you're persecuting me. This is a, a stark passage of Scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read it to you. It's Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. How close can you get to Jesus and not know him? Well, I apparently pretty close. And here's what I want you to hear. If you hear one thing today, and maybe this is the one thing you need to hear. Do you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life? Because, you know, the bottom line is it's one thing to know about Jesus. It's another thing to know Jesus. Those are two different things. So what happens to Saul? He becomes physically blind. And to be physically blind here is, is kind of a, it's a lesson. And the idea there is Paul becomes physically blind. Why? Because he's spiritually blind. And then all of a sudden, after three days, he gets his sight back. And what's that means? Okay, now he can see physically and now he can see spiritually. That's the whole point of the blindness. And John does that all the time in his gospel. Here's the point I want you to see. We are all born spiritually blind. We're not born with a clean slate. The Bible says we're born with a sin nature. That we don't go towards God, we run away from God. That even though we think we may be serving God, we may not be serving God. And, and most of us uh, don't even know we're blind, um, spiritually speaking. Here's the problem. When you're blind, it's hard to know you're blind, right? Even physically, it's hard to know when you're blind, right? So uh, I think it was two weeks ago, Carol went in, and she wears contacts, and she had this, an old pair of glasses that she wore, but the, you know, her prescription had changed over the last, I think it was seven years that she, so she goes in, and you know, it's the whole optometrist office thing, is it better or worse, better or worse, you know, and when I used to do that, um, I'd sit there and I'd go, I don't know, is that better or worse? And then he'd do it again, and, you know, you're, you're, you know ah, is that better? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a little better, maybe not. Can I have more time? You know, you get in all that. All right, so she went through all of that with the, with the optometrist, okay? 
And at the end, what the optometrist did was really interesting. She said, all right, now you'll have your glasses in a couple of weeks, but here's what I want to do. I want to show you what your vision was through these glasses, and then I want to show you what it will be. So she went to where, you know, if she had put her old glasses on, and, and he says, now this is what they will be. And she goes, whoa, I didn't know I was that blind, right? Because you don't know. It, over time, you just don't know. And Saul thought he was on the right team. He thought he was doing the, God's will, but he was, God, he was lost, and he needed to be converted. Paul writes this. This is a great passage. Paul did a spiritual 180. He repented. He turned to God. Saul becomes Paul. We'll see that. Um, by the way, well, I don't have time to go in. But Galatians 2.20, Paul wrote this, and he says this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is the same one he was persecuting. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wrote those words. How close can you get to Jesus and still be lost? Well, you can get pretty close, I think. I don't want any of you to leave today or stop watching without first doing that heart-to-heart -heart search and say, do I really know Jesus? Have I understood that I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I needed a Savior, and Jesus Christ came and died, and he's my only hope? And I'm like the criminal on the cross and say, Jesus, today I need you. Because if I die today without you, I'm lost forever. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever done that? Now, here's the problem. Paul has a real problem because now he has trusted Jesus. Now God has got a plan for his life. But now there's a problem because everyone is terrified of him, right? Uh, look, at, look at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him uh, in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and, a pla and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, answered, I have heard many. <laughs> okay, so understand what's going on here. Ananias not only has heard about Paul, uh, Saul, but he has heard about his antics. He has heard about how dangerous of a man he is. He has heard that this guy's grabbing people and dragging them from their houses and taking them back to Jerusalem, and many of them have been killed. And God says, yeah, I'd like you to go meet with him. <laughs> like, what? Are you, you know, no. <laughs> uh, he says, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to the holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here. Look, at, he even knows about the authority. With the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. Many believe, and, and somebody came up to me between services, and I think they're right on this, that Saul, as you'll read, he's only called Saul a little bit longer, a little bit longer but then he, he, he takes on the name Paul, and you never see him mentioned other than Paul. And, it, you know, it's it, kind of a Gentile name. So essentially what's going on here is he's going to be ministering to the Gentiles. This is what he says. He's, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
So the first requirement is you need to really know Jesus to be used by God. Secondly, you re- God uses people who really obey him. Um, so Ananias is right to be worried and concerned and like, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Uh, you, you know, and, uh, but here's the thing. God tells him to, to meet Saul. It's a dangerous and seemingly crazy plan. Uh, so what does he do? Well, he doesn't put it off. And he doesn't argue. He doesn't debate. He just does it. Now, it could, he could have had it in Scripture, but he, there's no debate here. He just does what he... What he's, so he has to trust God for his safety. God is asking him to do something very hard, very difficult, some, something very risky, but he's willing to do it. Uh, here's the thing I want you to see. One of the greatest signs of maturity in a Christian, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're, whether you're in-house or online, one of the greatest signs of your maturity is how obedient you are to the Word of God. If you take the Word of God and say, well, I'll, I'll, put it on, I'll take it under consideration, yeah, that's a problem. But if you take it seriously and say, Lord, and he says, jump, and you say, how high? That is one of the signs. So Ananias, here he is. He's, he's being obedient to the word of God. It's a very hard word, but he's being obedient. And he's instrumental in getting Saul connected to the church in Damascus. Why? Because the, Saul needs somebody that the people can trust to bring him in because the people of Damascus are terrified of him. So he has to walk in with somebody who can vouch for him. Another person that does that is, uh, is Barnabas. Uh, we'll talk about him in a minute. I love what, uh, what uh, the, the line about Saul, it says, this man, speaking of Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And so Ananias is this guy who just is there for a little bit. We won't hear much more about him, but he puts an arm around Paul and he brings credibility to Paul. We're going to see another one, and this is going to happen in just a chapter or so. We're going to see Barnabas. He's another one. Barnabas is a person who basically travels with Paul, and he's another one. He's an encourager. And, and these, these are the kind of people, especially Barnabas, they're the kind of people that uh, you spend time with them, and you feel better when you've been with them. And they support you, and they encourage you. Um, and, and we're going to see more about that. Um, but here's the thing. Paul writes this. This is uh, Ephesians 2.10. It's a very interesting passage. We are God's handiwork or masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he, God prepared in advance for us to do. This is an incredible passage because what it says is that God knew you before you were you, and God had a plan for you before you were you. Now, it just it makes just kind of logical sense that if God, the creator of everything, made you in his image and sent his son to die on a cross for you and he rose on the third day and before you were even born, before you were even, you know, you existed, God already had a plan for you. It makes sense that maybe I should check with my creator and say, what is the plan that you have for my life? People want to be happy today. I think everybody in this audience watching online, they want to be happy. We all want to be happy. But here's the problem. We try to find happiness in good pursuits, but we make good pursuits God pursuits. But you'll never be happy if you're out of God's will. 
You'll never be happy if you're doing your own thing. You'll never be happy if you're running your own life. And you have to come to a place where you realize, I was created for a purpose. I am God's masterpiece. And when you align with God, your creator, and you begin to function the way God intended you to function, you'll find amazing things will happen in your life. It may not be easy, but they'll be amazing. Here's the problem. Too many Christians want to do something big for God. I talk to people over the years, and they've come in and say, God wants me to do this, and it's something big. And I say, okay. And I kind of know them a little bit, and I say, what if, what if God wants you to do something small behind the scenes that no one can see? Are you good with that? Is that, is, is that okay? What if, what if God wants you to do something small? Um, I know people who are in full-time ministry who shouldn't be in full-time ministry who are pastors or associate pastors who are missionaries, and they shouldn't be missionaries. But they felt God called them. And you say, well, how do you argue with that? Well, you argue with it saying, yeah, but you're not gifted in this. You know. Do you remember the show, I don't even know if it's on anymore, when it first came out, American Idol, right? And there was Simon Cowell, right? And somebody, you knew this, they'd have a couple good singers, and yeah, you're pretty good, yeah, you're good. You know. And then they get the one person, they come up there, and they were like, like my mom when she used to sing. It was like awful, just, just the worst. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, just awful. I mean, just like, a, it, it just like beating a cat or something. All right, don't come to me. All right, all right, I just said it, all right? You're going you're gonna to come to me, you cat lovers, and say, how dare you? No. All right, stop, all right, just stop. All right, just, it's just really bad thing and they would sit there and and Simon would say something like that's got to be the off the the worst thing I've ever heard of my life you're terrible I mean you just would redress them down and he, he was harsh and they would say something like well my family and friends don't think so they think I'm beautiful and I sing beautifully and he would say well they're wrong and they should have told you this a long time ago but that's the problem, isn't it? Don't we need people in our lives saying, yeah, I don't know if that's really your thing. I don't know. Yeah, I know you want to serve God, but let's find somewhere to serve. Maybe it's not in the lights. Maybe it's behind the scenes. Maybe it's not, you know, what you think. Um, see, here's the point. Everyone wants to be a star, but even if you are a star, you still have to be a servant. Uh, I don't know if professional Christian artists get that. Some of them do, some of them don't. And pastors and stuff. Even if you're seen as a star, you still have to be a servant. Where do I get that? Mark 10.45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest star there ever was, Right? became a servant. If, if the greatest star became a servant, then what are we quibbling about? So we've been doing this uh, Flat Stanley campaign, and I grew up in a family where I have five brothers, no sisters, and somehow my mom made it uh, and found sanity and don't know how she did that. Um, but we all had chores, and everybody had a job to do, and everybody did their job, and we were responsible for to care uh, care for and pitch in uh, and help out. 
Um, in a similar way, Hope Church is a big family. And we have a lot of chores and things to do. And we need help. And we need a lot of help. And we need everyone to help out. And everyone to join in. And every one of you has given, been given a gift and, 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 a, and a talent. And, and so um, it might look, not look like it on any given weekend. But on some weekends, we are like getting things done with baling wire and pitch and duct tape and we get done with the week and weekend service and we go oh we made it and sometimes you know the other ministries like the wednesday night ministry or the mops ministry they're they're going oh where are we going to find this you know carol's working on this and trying to get this and and Lori, and they're getting and and they get it they get through the week and we made it this week And it may not look like it to you, but some of the time, that's what it is. So when we put this cute little flat Stanley thing out there, it's not just to say, oh, that's cute. Somebody else will do something. No, you. <laughs> not someone else. You. You have gifts and ability. And if you call Hope Church your home, you have a responsibility. Why? For a couple of reasons. Number one, because one day God's going to say, I gave you time. I gave you talent. I gave you treasure. What did you do with it? If you're not serving, if you're not giving, that's a problem. But here's the other thing. A couple weeks ago, we had our vacation Bible school in here and in the building. And it was like it, the best way to describe sometimes uh, VBS, vacation Bible. We had 180, 200 kids and uh, leaders. And it's just like a mob of just a... Just, it, the best way to describe it, I think, is a, it's, a, it's a runaway wagon going down a hill, and it's bumpy, and it, you get to the bottom of the hill, and you say, is the wagon still together, and everybody's still okay? Yeah, okay, we made it. Sometimes it, that's the way it is. And kids go, that was fun, that was great, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of planning. Some of you just volunteer once a year for that, and that's great. You should volunteer more than that, but that's great that you did. But here's one of the benefits of serving. When you, this happened. Some of you, when you served for vacation Bible school, you served all week with somebody you didn't know. You got to know somebody. You got to connect with somebody. It was a way for you to do ministry together with somebody. We like it when you do ministry together. And that's why we want you to get into a life group so that you can do life together. Because the more you do together and the more you serve together, the better for, better for the church and the mission and what God has called us to do. We're not, not going to hear about Ananias anymore. Barnabas is going to be there for a short time, and then he's going to be gone. But without Ananias and Barnabas, Paul would not have been successful. And God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. Whether you're in-house or you're watching online, God has a plan for your life. Your life matters, it's significant, and it's important. But you're never going to find that significance. You're never going to find that importance until you look to God and say, you're the creator, you're the savior, you show me what you want to do with my life. And when you connect with your creator, he'll show you. And when he begins to show you, you'll find purpose and meaning and joy. And it won't be easy. You're going to have hard decisions like Ananias and God. God's going to tell you to do something really hard. And you go, I don't know, God, that's tough. But when you show obedience and you do it, you'll say, wow, that's amazing. So I'm asking you to take a step. A step of obedience. A step that will help you. A step that will further the church. Because we need all hands on deck. 
and we need everyone involved. Where Paul uses another. See, you notice here that, that Paul, that we're talking about, Saul who becomes Paul, we're referring to a lot of teaching passages in his epistles. We're using Galatians and Ephesians. Paul wrote those. So we have more than just that he planted churches and he started things. He wrote, some, some believe, maybe up to half the New Testament. And he would never have been able to do that if others hadn't stepped up and helped. Here's my prayer for, for Hope Church. This is verse 31 of chapter 9. Then the church throughout Dubuque, in Wisconsin, in Illinois, and around the world enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. That's my prayer. My prayer is that we would become the church and be more like the church that God wants us to be. But we're going to do that as each one of us takes on our role as servant and is used by God in powerful ways. So I pray that you'll take that step and become part of a serving community here at Hope. Do something this week today. Don't put it off. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and the encouragement we get through it. Thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives. Father, my first prayer is for those that are in-house or those watching that they would make sure that they, they, they're not just close to Jesus, but they know Jesus. They realize that they're a sinner, they need a Savior, and that Jesus is their only hope. And that they would call upon the Lord. They would, become, uh, uh, they would give their life to you because you gave their life, your life to them. For the rest of us, Father, who maybe have prayed that prayer, or we've, we've, we've converted, we've done a 180, we've, we're calling on the Lord, we're following Jesus. Help us to... to to leverage and deploy our time, our talent, and our treasure for your bride, your church. Help us not to be persecutors of the church, but help us to be builders of it in this community. Uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name.